There is a, there is a special meaning in the, in the message today that we are going to study from Psalm 15. But before uh, we read the text again, I want to I wanna ask you to uh, close your eyes. We're going we're gonna to talk to the Lord briefly and ask Him that He open that he opened our minds so we can understand his message. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here. And I ask you now, the Lord, that you may open up our minds, that you may open up our hearts, that we can not only see, but also hear the message you have for us this morning. That you may now use me as your instrument only, that every word that I say may be inspired by you. And that at the end of the day, the message here may not be a reflection of my thoughts, but what you had for us this morning. This is what I ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Psalm 15. Some people might look at it and see as if this was, this was a list. You know, a checklist of things you have to do, of things you have to follow in order to be able to inhabit in order to be able to be accepted into God's kingdom. Because this is a, a psalm written by David. And he asks right at the top, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Who is going to be able to make it? What are the requirements? And then you can, you can read through Psalm 15 and you think, oh, that's an easy one then. It's just a checklist. So if I follow everything here and I check off the list and I check off each item, I'll be prepared, I will be uh, entitled to make it into God's tabernacle, into God's holy hill. But that's not the truth though, because we all know that salvation can be ours by grace and by grace alone through faith. That's what we find in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the only way for salvation. There is nothing you and I can do to earn salvation. It is a gift from God. It is by grace through faith, and by grace alone. So that no, no, no one of us should boast we should say, yes, I deserve it. No, no, no one here deserves to be saved. But God, by His infinite grace, sent His Son, and He died for us and purchased the price of our salvation. But the psalmist asks here, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who will be able to make it? Who will live in your holy hill? And He, he describes here a list of characteristics. And here's how I see the psalm. It's actually uh, a description of the character of those who are going to be living with God for eternity. It's not that you should check off this list, but if you're going to make it, if you're going to live with God forever, that's how your character will be. And if that's the case, then I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask God that He may use me, He may transform me, He may change me into a character like this. And of all the things that the psalmist describes here, there is one in particular that I'd like to drive our attention to. 
And it's found in the last part of verse 4. In the last part of verse 4, David says that uh, one of the characteristics of those who are going to be in the holy hill of the Lord is that they who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Swears to his own hurt and does not change. Well, you know, we live in a time and age where words are just empty words. People say whatever they want. People say whatever please them. People say whatever they think you want to hear, but they don't necessarily mean it. And so it leads us to, a, it takes us to a point where people say whatever, and promises are broken, commitments are not kept, because people just say it for saying. They don't really mean it. And we can see that marriages, for example, people don't, people don't stay together. People don't take the time to work for the benefit of the relationship. And when the first issues arise, they, they think it's better just to separate. And the sad reality is there is a growing and growing number of families being destroyed, being torn apart. Because words don't mean much these days. People seal businesses. People sh shake hands. People give their word. But that doesn't mean anything. They break their promises. They break contracts. They don't do what they have promised they would be doing. Even in church, we see that sometimes we have a hard time keeping our promises, the promises we make to the Lord or the promises we make to each other. Politicians, they can say whatever they want, at least in the country I come from. Maybe in Canada it's different. But in Brazil, politicians are many times no because they promise, they promise, and they don't necessarily do what they promise. And actually they say that that's, that's one of the secrets of politics because you have to have something to promise, right? You, have, you need to have something to promise so you can be elected. But unfortunately, people don't keep their promises. They don't honor the things they say. And even with God, people have a hard time keeping the promises or the vows or the oaths they take before God. So this is the society we live in. Empty words. David J. Hagapian said the following. You must be prepared to abide by your oath. No matter how your, your personal interests or circumstances may have changed. Even for, for your own disadvantage. Even to your own disadvantage. So the Christian. The Christian. If you have taken an oath, if you have promised something, if you have vowed something, if you have given your word for something, and later on, if the circumstances change, and you feel that you're not at advantage anymore, things are going to be bad for you, still, still, you should be prepared to keep and honor your word. That's how it should be, though. And when you think about, uh, about oaths, about promises, about commitments, engagements, about swearing your word, uh, we realize that actually this is, a, this is a practice that dates way back from the times of antiquity. And we find references to that in the Bible from the very beginning. God promising 
to, to his children. God keeping his promises. God saying things that he would do. And eventually he would. But I want to drive your attention here to Genesis 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 15, verses 17 and 18. I do have the text on the slide, but I want to give you an opportunity to search through your Bible. First, to make sure I'm reading off the, the, the right spot. And second, so you can make any notes if you want. You can meditate on reading your own Bible. So Genesis 15, verses 17 and 18. God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. That God would turn Abraham's seed, Abraham's seed into a great nation. But Abraham, Abraham at that time, he didn't have children. He didn't have a son. He didn't have children at all. So God comes back to him and says again that I'm going to make of you a great nation. And Abraham says... Yeah, that's fine, Lord, but I don't have any descendants. How is that going to be? How is it possible? So, you look at the beginning of chapter 15, and you see that God asked him to bring a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and also two birds. And God tells him to cut the animals in half, not the birds, but the animals. Cut them in half right at the middle, and separate the two halves a little bit. And the Bible says that the, the day was almost finishing and the vultures would come and try to eat the animals. And Abraham would be, you know, uh, uh, preventing that to happen. But then the Lord comes back and the Lord says that in verses 17 and 18, he says the following. Note this. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold... There appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. I mean, right in between the two halves of the animals. On the same day, the Lord made what? A covenant with Abraham. So what does that mean? God asked Abraham to cut the animals in half. And it was almost getting dark. The sun was coming down. And it appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the two pieces of the animals. And on that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Now turn your Bible to Jeremiah 34, 18. Jeremiah 34, 18. And this is what we read. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant... Who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me when they did what? When they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it. So the practice of the time was to cut the animal in two and pass between the two halves. What's the meaning of that? The meaning of that, if you read uh, ancient history, ancient literature, you'll find out that the meaning of this is, I'm walking now in between the two halves of the carcass, and I want it to happen to me, what happened to this animal, if I do not keep my word. That's what that practice meant. I want it to happen to me exactly what's happened to these, to these animals, or to this animal, if 
I do not keep my word. If I do not perform the words of my covenant. So then you go to Hebrews chapter 6 beginning in verse 13. And you find that God promised, God made a covenant with Abram. And God sent a burning torch, a burning oven and a, a, a fire to go in between the animals because God, because God himself was making a covenant with Abraham. Hebrews 6, 13 and 14. And we read this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. So God, who didn't have anyone greater than himself to swear by, he swore by himself. No one greater than himself. Today, if, if you and I want to make an agreement, want to sign a contract, we'll draft it. And we'll go before a notary or we'll go before a judge or before a lawyer. And that person will then uh, authenticate it, right? So it becomes valid because it was notarized, it was authenticated. But God didn't have anyone greater than himself when he was swearing to Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. So that's why God sent fire in between those animals. Now, anyone reading now this, anyone reading what Moses had written, would quickly understand that God, God appeared. God appeared in that burning bush, right? And that was God's presence. A burning bush, a bush that would not burn actually, but there was fire in it. And that was God's pr presence. And just as equally, now we see here, that God is sending fire to go between those two halves of the animal representing himself. Because there was no one greater than himself uh, by whom he could swear, he could vow, he could promise and make that covenant authenticated and valid between him and Abraham. What's the point of all of this? Is that God is like that. God promises and he fulfills it. When God engages in a com commitment, He will make it. He will keep it. If God promises something, He will do it. But the psalmist now here in chapter 15, the psalmist is saying at the last part of verse 4, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That's a very characteristic, uh, uh, that's a characteristic of God. That's how God's character is. He promises and He does not change. And if you and I want one day to live next to God for eternity, we should ask the Lord to help us, to transform us, to be like that, so we can keep our word in everything we say and in everything we do. Now, some people would turn now to the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus was was teaching there at the mount. And at a certain point in Matthew chapter 5, he says clearly, you should not swear at all. Let's see this. Chapter 5 of Matthew, beginning in verse 33. Jesus is actually here recalling teachings that the people to whom he was talking, 
people knew very well. He was recalling teachings from Leviticus 19, 12 and from Numbers 32. And now Jesus is recalling that and he says this. Again you have heard that it was said to those of old. Uh, I'm reading uh, here from Matthew chapter 5 verses 33 through 36. Right? So Jesus is saying again you have heard that it was said to those of old. You shall not swear what? Falsely. But shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But now he, he goes beyond and he says. But I say to you. Do not swear at all. Neither by heaven. Nor for its God's throne. Nor by earth. For it's his footstool. Nor by Jerusalem. For it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head. Because you cannot make one hair white or black. And that's a reality. I remember, just as a side note, I remember a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, when the first gray hair started to appear down here. And you know what I did? I said, I'm going to pull them off, right? So no one will see. But then I realized I was pulling off too many hairs. And I said, no, I'm going to end up with no hair here. So let, let it be. And uh, the truth is that as time goes by, gradually, gradually, they become gray and gray and gray and white at some point. And the sad thing is not only they become gray, but they also fall off, right? And it happens, So, but it's life. But Jesus is saying here, no one of you, that there is no, you can pull off your hairs, you can do whatever, but you can't really make it white or black. You can't, you can't make it because it's, it's above, it's beyond your powers. So do not swear for those things. So... But what is Jesus really trying to say here? Because he said, do not swear at all. So some people refer to this and say, no, we should not vow on anything. We should not swear uh, by anything. We should not do that. We should not make covenants, whatever. Is it really what Jesus is trying to say? So we need to think, we need to think, that we need to remember actually, that Jesus is talking here to a very, very particular audience. And of course, his teachings, his teachings are not only for that group, but the, the main uh, audience of his words was that particular group to whom he was talking. And those were people from the Jewish nation who over time, who over time, and this is important, over time, uh, you know, they had a, a, a great respect for the name Jehovah. They would not pronounce uh, the name of God in any any uh, casual or, or trivial circumstance. They had a high regard and a high respect for even pronouncing the name of God, Jehovah. So because of that, when they had to swear, when they had to promise something, they would avoid promising in the name of God. Because they didn't want to say the name of God uh, in a trivial way. So because they have the custom, they, have, uh, they had the custom of promising a lot, of making many covenants. They would do it, but would avoid using the name of God. So because of that, they started then to, to swear by the sun. They started to swear by the moon, by the earth. They started to swear by their own head, their own head. So I promise you this by my own head that I'm going to do this. Because you know my head, I need it. I need it. It's, it you, you can appreciate how important it is. 
But Jesus then comes and says, well, you know what? This has become even more banalized than, than it was before. Because you are not swearing by God. You are not swearing. You are not promising in the name of God. Which we are promising for any trivial thing. So now I can promise. I can make you a promise in the name of my computer. I can promise you in the name of this remote control. Well, it's not really valuable. But if I come to you and I say that I'm promising by my own head. And I'm, I'm swearing by my own head. I'm promising for my own life. Then, oh, that's, that may be something important. But then Jesus is saying, listen, if you are not promising, if you are not promising with a conscience that you are, you are giving your word, then the Lord is seeing that. If you are not doing that in the fear of the Lord, don't do it at all. Stop doing that. It, it has no value whatsoever. And this is not only Jesus saying, I mean, this is what Jesus is teaching, but this is not... Only something that Jesus knew. There is, there is a gentleman. I don't know if you heard about him ever. If you studied about him. His name is Moses Maimonides. He was born in, in Spain. In Cordoba. In Spain on March 30, 1135. A few years ago. And Maimonides was a philosopher. He was a, a rabbinic scholar. And he was even a doctor. And he wrote several, uh, several codes that were incorporated into the rabbinic tradition. And one of the things he said, you see here, he says this, If any man swear by his, uh, sorry, swear by heaven or by earth, yet that is not an oath. Right? So you see here this, this thinking that actually reflects what Jesus had said. That if you don't give your word, conscious that the Lord is seeing that. If you don't keep in mind that you, have, you need to have the fear of the Lord. And you just give out promises, empty promises. Those are not promises. Those are not covenants, oaths at all. So what Jesus was doing here is he was trying to expand the understanding of, he, of the people, of his disciples. And when Jesus says don't swear at all, it's because he wanted it, people to take it seriously. If not, he wouldn't have said in Psalm, in, in, sorry, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 37 this. But let your word be yes, yes, and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the, the evil one. So Jesus finishes off. He says, you know, you got to be careful. Because your word, your yes, has to be a yes. Your no needs to be a, a no. Whatever is more than this is from the evil one. So the bottom line here, brothers and sisters, is that you don't have to promise anything. But if you do, keep it. You don't have to say anything. But if you do, honor your word. Know that whatever you're saying, the Lord is seeing. And the Lord expects you to be truthful to what you say. The psalmist says that he who wants to be in the presence of God, the person who wants to inhabit, to be living in the holy hill of the Lord, needs to walk blames, blamelessly. Needs to do what's right. Needs to speak the truth in his heart. 
does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, do not take up, does not take up reproach against his friend, and in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not does not Take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. You know, even if circumstances change, we should keep our word. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4 through 6. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 to 6. And we read here, When you make a vow to God... Do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. And in Ecclesiastes, uh, verse 6, still, Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. If you have promise, then you should deliver it. Who, Lord, may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. I don't know if you know this gentleman, if you have heard of him. His name was, because he's deceased, he's, he lived in the 18th century, 19th century, Booker T. Washington. He lived right, right at the time when the Emancipation Proclamation was given by Abraham Lincoln in January 1st, 1863 in the United States. And he was born a little before that and he, out, and he lived, he was living when the emancipation was proclaimed. And because of that, he felt, he still felt the, the, the harshness of slavery. And upon being released, upon being a free man, he started to find a work, trying to find a work and he dedicated himself for the cause of the black people, the African-American people in America. He started to work at the age of nine. It was a very hard life, but he had to do it because he never knew his father. His father was probably a, a white man from the neighborhood, but he never knew him. And he had to work from the age of nine years old to help support his mom and his other brothers. And he studied, it was hard, but even later in life, he went to school and he graduated and he became a teacher. And later on he was appointed a principal of a, of a school where he tried to help as many African American children as he was able to. Here is one of the things that Booker T. Washington said. I have learned that success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has had to overcome while trying to succeed. Position is not important, actually, but the obstacles you have faced actually made you a bigger, a, a greater person, not a bigger person, but a greater person in life. Something else Booker T. Washington said, excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. And if you want to lift yourself up, Lift up who? Lift up someone else. 
I mean, there's no way if I'm laying, if I'm lying on the ground, there's no way I can lift someone up. But if I want to lift, if I want to lift myself up, I can do it by helping someone else to stand up. But he was an author, he was a prolific writer, and, and a book he wrote was called Up From Slavery. It's an autobiography. He tells a lot about his story, but he also tells about the story of other slaves or, or former slaves. And he's, he tells this story, which uh, I want to finish with. Uh, he tells of a man who two or three years prior to the Emancipation Proclamation, he entered into an agreement with his master. And the agreement was this. The slave was allowed to purchase, to buy himself. He was allowed to pay his master to buy his own, free, own freedom. Because you remember, typically, people would be freed because they were bought, they were purchased for another master, by another master or by someone else. But in this agreement, that slave was allowed to buy himself. So he could work and earn money and then go back to his master and pay for himself. So that slave realized, he found out that if he moved from, from Virginia where he lived, where he had been born, or, uh, or not had been born, where he lived and he, he was working. If he moved out of there and he went to Ohio, he would get better pay better salaries. And so he did. He went to Ohio and he was earning more money and he would from time to time go back to his master in Virginia and pay as much as he could toward his own freedom. So when the emancipation was proclaimed a couple of years after that, he still owed $300 to his master. And we're talking here 31863 dollars, dollars It's a lot of money. But he still owed that. And he continued to work in Ohio and from time to time he would go back to Virginia and deposit another payment toward his own freedom. Even though, officially, he was already free. And he did it until he went back and paid and deposited and placed the last few pennies into the hands of his former master, for his own freedom. So when this, this slave was talking to Booker T. Washington and telling the story, and Booker T. Washington, but let me ask you one thing. Uh, did you ever hear about the, the emancipation? Did you, ever knew, did you ever know that you were a free man? You didn't have to do that? You were released from pay, paying those $300? And the man said, yes, I did hear about it. Yes, I knew about it. But I had given my word. And my word was not to be broken. I felt I could not enjoy my freedom until I had fulfilled my promise. So you and I as Christians, you and I as people who want one day to be living in the holy hill of the Lord. You and I need to keep in mind that the Lord is watching. The Lord sees every move we make. And we should honor, we should honor God's character with our own lives. May we today renew our commitment. May we today decide to be truthful in what we say. Not only say things because it would please someone. Proverbs 18.21 says that both 
death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think about it. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. With your words, you can bring life, you can speak life, and you can destroy someone's life. You can kill someone. So let us be careful. Let us be uh, truthful in everything we say. May the Lord bless us and help us and enable us, enable us sorry, to be His representatives here in, on earth. So that we may do everything to please Him. And that will uh, prepare us to one day live eternity with Him. May God bless us all.